We are continuing our study in the book of Revelation today, the first chapter beginning in verse 4, and we're going to be studying down through verse 11 today. And I believe as we are looking at this together, we're going to see something that is going to become more and more revealed even going into the last part of this chapter, and that is that Jesus is high and lifted up. And we will see him just getting higher and higher and higher the further John opens up the book and enters into the address that he will have to the various churches in Revelation, beginning in chapters 2 and 3. But if I would like to read with you together, and if you have your Bibles, we invite you to open them or your computers, turn them on. We are blessed, but sometimes when we read the word together, the word affects us in a little different way. Beginning in verse four, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom and priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker of the tribulation, and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergam and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Jesus high and lifted up. If you notice as John enters this, this text this morning, he says he is writing to the seven churches that are in Asia. And we have a map in front of you that you may be able to see that shows us a picture of these seven churches that John was addressing that he will more explicitly address later. And each of these churches make up a region called Asia Minor. Now, we know there were other churches that surrounded this region. There was Colossae. There was Miletus. There was various other churches. Maybe they were a little smaller. But John seemed to address the seven for a reason. And it is important we see that, that we recognize these seven churches 
were ones that he was pointing to as he was writing this specific message that the Holy Spirit was giving him in the book of Revelation. And some have thought the reason for that, that is that seven is perfection in the word of God, and John was true to the perfection of the Lord. And that at this time, as he said, John to the seven churches, he was speaking of how God saw a perfect church as he looked down here through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't know entirely. Uh, other people will speak about the sevens of the Bible and how so many sevens point to perfection in different ways. You can take the seven days of creation. You can take the seven dispensations of man. You can take of seven days of purification. You can take seven good years. The children of Israel were in Egypt before seven years of famine. You had seven years that a Hebrew slave served before he was let, allowed to go free. After seven years, all the deaths were forgiven. That would be a, wouldn't, that, wouldn't those be the days? Or the seven years of famine in the days of Elijah, or the seven years we're going to look at later in the book of Revelation of the Great Tribulation. We don't know exactly. What we do know, though, is John was writing to the seven churches. He singled these churches out, and we see that in the last part of the writing in verse 11, exactly who they were and what they stood for. Now, as we look further into this book, we are going to see, again, like we said, the Lord is going to be high and lifted up. We are going to see him rise higher. It's a little bit like it is, as I can look out our, our back door oftentimes in the morning, especially in the weekends, and over the mountains you'll see balloons that slowly start going up. Sometimes there's two or three, other times there's four or five. But in those balloons are people in a basket. And I don't know how many of you have ever ridden in a hot air balloon, but the higher you get up in this desert, the more beautiful the view. And it doesn't take over just a few feet. You can get up a couple hundred feet, and there it is, your panorama of the creation of God of the desert just magnifies. And we're gonna see this in this book, that the panorama of the beauty of God, the, the magni magnificence of his glory and of his righteousness is going to be magnified as we just allow his word to continue to speak to us and we, and we look at this together. Notice with me when John is writing this, and he says, to the seven churches, we're still following an introduction that follows up with last week. He now has that traditional customary introduction, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Now hold on to those three points there he's bringing up because it defines who our Lord Jesus is, who is present, who was past, who is to come, the future, and from the seven spirits that are before his throne. We see something else that John lingers on, seven spirits that we find here. I believe in Isaiah, we find a reference to these seven spirits that we will not be looking at right now as we're looking into this text. But as we continue to look on, John will begin to un unfold our Lord Jesus 
in the most beautiful way. And many scholars would say it may be the most beautiful unfolding of our Lord you find in the entire scripture. The seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ. And so notice John is defining the spirits, the greeting coming from spirits and from Jesus Christ. And notice the description that John gives of Jesus Christ here. And, and it's just lovely, it's beautiful as he describes Jesus. First he says, he's the faithful witness. His word is always true. He is the firstborn of the dead. And the third thing is, he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And as John is describing Jesus here, he is showing the dimensions of who Jesus really, really is and how magnificent our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is. And he begins to open up with this beautiful introduction that we're following and seeing this morning. You know, we used to live in a place uh, in, in the Kittitas Valley for 12 years. Deb and I and our family was involved in a church plant and various kinds of ministries. And there was a, can a canyon that went out of the Kittitas County uh, up into the valley. There were several canyons, but one was called the Tainum Canyon. And you could drive from the beginning, enter into the canyon just about around 15 miles, and the complexion of all of the geography would totally change. You would enter, and you were in agricultural ground, and in 15 miles, it was just deep, heavy, forested ground. The creeks would be running, the streams would be there, the pastures would be there. It was amazing. But something else that was interesting, so your view kept changing the further you went into the canyon. This will be true as we keep going in the book of Revelation. We're going to see the Lord. We're going to see him differently. We're going to see him more fully. The magnificence of his glory will just keep being revealed. Now he'll speak to us about how that affects us. But one of the things that's interesting, when you get toward the, the end of the Tainum Canyon, if you knew where to park and there was a little turnout, you could park there, and you could take a trail. And for a moment, that trail would start taking you up a mountain, and you'd start going up the mountain, but you didn't even know where you was going. The further you got up the mountain, in about 20 minutes, the complexion began to change, but it didn't look very pretty, really. You'd think, what is this all about? Until you got right over one little knoll of a hill, and you would see a beautiful cross that someone put up there on that mountain with the backdrop of Mount Rainier and Mount Adams. And it was an amazing, amazing uh, display of the glory and magnificence of our Lord, in, not only in his creation, but in who he is because of his, of his death, his, his sacrifice, his life. And John will just keep unfolding this as we continue to study the word of God together here. Sometimes, just to encourage you, uh, Revelation can actually get for a moment a little dry. You'll say, really, I'm just in the, we're in the middle of a trumpet. What's there, there here for me? What's the take home from the trumpet? But the longer we study, the further we go, 
the more patient we are walking by faith, not by sight, looking for God's teaching, looking for his lessons, we're going to see the beauty. And once we see the beauty, it just becomes amazingly profound. And God begins to reveal his glory in the most magnificent way. I'm going to pick up in verse 5 and continue here. It's, he speaks here of us from Jesus Christ. We've already got this, the faithful witness. He describes three descriptions of Jesus, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And these declarations of Jesus' lordship we see here are just absolutely tremendous. Sometimes in our Christian life, when we are, we may be in a different difficulty. It may be right now. It might be in the time in which we are wondering what will next week hold or in two weeks. If we can recognize Jesus' lordship, even write down verses like this, put them in little, on little sticky papers around our house, out in the garage. God will speak to us and to others in the most amazing ways because we're going up and seeing a clearer, more magnificent view of God. John continues verse six, and he begins to, to well, the end of verse five, he says, to him who loves us and releases, released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us to be a kingdom and priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And something else John does. We have just looked at the three declarations of Jesus' lordship, a faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. But now we see something else with John that's, that he unfolds about Jesus. It is, he, he gives us a threefold work of Jesus Christ that is so uh, important to never let go of, no matter where we're at in our lives, whatever we encounter. The first we see here in the end of the fifth verse is that he loves us. Jesus loves us. No one roots for us like Jesus. There's an old song that says, no one ever cared for us like Jesus. Jesus loves us. The second truth here that John addresses in the, sixth, in the same verse is he has released us from our sins through his blood. Jesus forgives us our sins through his blood. Not only does he love us, but he forgives us. We are a child of the God as a forgiven saint. That doesn't mean we're perfect. That doesn't mean we faltered, didn't falter last week. That doesn't mean that some fear came in or some doubt at some time. But the truth is, Jesus loves us, he forgives us. But something else John addresses here, and we're going up the mountain further. It says here, and he has made us to be a kingdom and priests to his God and Father, and to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. And John is simply saying, and he has made us kings and priests. You know what he's saying? He's saying, the Lord has taken us and put us at his table. And he is asking, allowing us to eat the king's food and to partake of the king's cup. And even as we are in the assembly of the church that we know, 
even today, right where you're at, wherever you are watching this message this morning, you can be at the table of the king. Because the word of God says that we have been made kings and priests to God. It doesn't just simply say we sit at the king's table. We sit there as in, with kingly robes. We sit there as priests of God, heirs and joint heirs with Christ. We're in the family. You know, it's one thing you can come as a guest to the table and someone can invite you and say, you're welcome at our table, we're glad to have you, and you're there. But when we look at this area here, and we look at the truth that John is unfolding as he's going further in Revelation, that he loves us, he releases us from our sins, and he makes us kings and priests to God, he is basically saying that we are there as children, as heirs, joint heirs of Jesus Christ. We're on the will. We are on God's will. God's inheritance is ours. And it is so important because as we go further up the canyon, higher up the mountain, higher up to, for that, that peripheral view that goes out, we see God, Jesus, highly exalted. And I think it's so important to recognize that John has so much to unpack. And the Holy Spirit through this book will just be unpacking truth after truth. But never forget this, that he is first equipping us to say, and you are the partakers of this. You are my children. I want to tell you a lot of things through this book that you might miss unless this book was read. There's a lot in Revelation that's like that. We wouldn't see it unless we saw it there. No other place in the word are things so graphically described in the end times as the book of Revelation. In no other place, most scholars would say, is Jesus so highly exalted as in the book of Revelation. There's no other place that most, most people would agree that we see such a clarity of Jesus' return as in the book of Revelation. I'm amazed um, in, the, in the places that the Lord has taken us that we have uh, just been there teaching. And it's really interesting in house churches, in sequestered environments, what we are experiencing today in America, many places in the world know it as the more of the norm. We call it a two-week reprieve or whatever God has, but it's more of, a, more of, the, norm, more of the norm. A few years ago, we went into Cuba for the first time, and we were teaching leaders in Cuba. And they provided government housing for us, and we've stayed inside a closed compound. And when you walked in the door at night, uh, you had a little one 12-inch by 12-inch black and white TV. You had whatever snacks you brought in off the street. There was no way to go back out through the locked doors. And the only thing I was able to do is walk out, and I had my own little room on this little porch and look out on the streets at the people that could walk freely. And yet, in their walking freely, as free as they were, they're one of the most controlled countries in the world. The regime that was over, is over the top of them, have them has them so con controlled that the average family was getting $20 a month for their monthly stipend. Often they run, ran out halfway through the month. 
Yes, they received beans and rice from the government, but there was very little there. But I noticed something with those people. They were creative. I stood and watched how the relationships along the streets were built at night after classes and after teaching. And they would stand along their fences and just visit together. They had time. They had time in the middle of what might look like repression and control. They were creative to respond to the place in which they were given. And there's a reason for that. What made the difference? Because they were willing to be resourceful in spite of, not sitting back, well, I wish we lived in America. I wish we could go here. No, they were glad to be resourceful. And you know what was happening? I would stand there at night all by myself, no one else in the room. Uh, my my co-teacher was in a, a room not too far away, and I would think, this is amazing. Who's teaching who here? We don't have time in America to do this. We just we give one wave as we go by. And I just give this to you for this special time God has for us right now. There may be a place to make a friend with a neighbor that we've never made before. Just let God speak to you. You've got a great, great, beautiful Jesus to share. And he desires that he is revealed in so many ways during every time that we, we live in. Verse seven, picking this up. John here begins to speak of the literal second coming of Jesus at the very end of the age, at the end of the tribulation. We'll look at this more thoroughly the further we go. But here we're going to see John speaking about a clear second coming of Jesus Christ. Not all people who say they are Christians agree with this literal return of Jesus. This, not, this isn't about the time. This is about the event the promise of, of Jesus that he's coming again. Let's read this together if you have your Bibles. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. I am Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, and here he, he describes himself again, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And here God is again describing Jesus with these three terms, past, who was, present, who is, who is to come, the future. And here, as we look at Alpha and Omega, Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. And what God is really saying here, he's speaking about his return, but he's saying, I am the first. And omega is the last alphabet letter of the alphabet. And he's really saying, I am the last. I am the beginning. I am the end. I am the first. I am the last. I am God. And my son is Jesus Christ. And he is king of kings and lord of lords. As we look at this passage it is important we recognize a couple of things. One is that every eye is gonna see him. The word of God is very clear. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Notice this, it is showing a realization of what they have done. They pierced him. Now it's, it's saying every eye. I, I wanna get into this further as we go into the book, 
but there's some different thoughts that, that come to us about how every eye will see him. He may come, and not quite like we think, for every eye to see him, but the word of God says he is coming, every eye is gonna see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. And we are looking here at one of the great promises for the Christian church. But if you do not have Jesus, this is one of the great fears of the world. I believe we live in a time right now, as things are changing, fear sweeps hearts. Oftentimes, it is a revelation that we do not know Jesus like we should. We have not trusted fully in Jesus as our Savior. But here, as we're looking at this truth of Jesus' return, the Word of God says some are going to mourn over him. I believe that some people will not rejoice at that time. They will, not, they will be ashamed at his coming. Even one place, the word of God says, they will cry for the rocks and the hills to fall on them. They will seek death even. They will not find it. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 52, you'll probably see it on your screen. You can read it with me in your Bible. Just a couple of verses I want to give you like this that also enforce this second coming of Jesus Christ. Remember, as we began last week, we talked about a couple great truths of the book of Revelation. Truth number one is Jesus is alive. Truth number two is he's coming soon. He is coming. And we, we need to recognize, as God's children, Jesus Christ is coming again. Behold, I tell you a mystery, says Paul. We will not all sleep. Now he's saying something else, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. Guarantee we will all be changed. Guarantee Jesus is gonna come. Notice something else in verse seven previous. He's gonna come in the clouds. And we're gonna see something in another verse that Jesus went up with the clouds, he'll come back with the clouds. I don't know why. Maybe one reason is this, that when he comes in all of his glory, his shakan of glory will be unveiled. The word of God says in 2 Thessalonians, he will destroy with the, in the, with the, with the spirit of his mouth and with the brightness of of his coming. It's possible that those clouds, the glory of God will go behind those clouds for a moment. But when the glory of the Lord is revealed upon this earth, I don't believe any man can stand in the presence of God and live. All through the Bible, we see Moses, even just in the cleft of the rock, and God puts his hand out to let him see his glory. And just a glimpse of Moses' glory of God's glory, caused Moses' countenance to shine in the most amazing way. But the word of God says a couple other things. He said it's gonna be in a moment, it's gonna be in the twinkling of an eye. Blink right now with me. Just blink. The twinkling, just a little teeny blink in a moment, the twinkling of the eye. One of the truths of the return of Jesus is you won't have time to get ready when he comes if you're not ready. It's too late. There's a, there's a time to get ready and there's a time it will be too late. 
And the word of God says a trumpet will sound. We've got something else. At the last trumpet, there's a trumpet that sounds. And we're not gonna go, we're giving you a general description today of the second coming. I'm not going into all the details today. I'll break that down some more later by God's grace and, and, and the Spirit's interpretation. But the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. You know, the word of God does say that the soul that sins will die. The word of God says that uh, we'll be given eternal life. And it says the dead will be raised imperishable and there's going to be a resurrection. Let's get that. It is coming. When he comes and the twinkling of an eye in that moment at the last trumpet, we're, we're putting all this together, the dead's gonna be raised imperishable. Acts chapter one, verse 10. One more verse and we're gonna keep on going here. This second coming though is so important. I believe it's possible that in the day in which we're living, we are losing sight of the second coming of Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit speak to us here. He is alive. He promises that he's going to come again. And in this, in this chapter of Acts chapter one, beginning in verse 10, we see that promise as Jesus gives it. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white stood beside them. They said also, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Notice a couple more truths that are going to be there. And that one, one truth is in verse 10 that there, he's gonna go up in the sky. He's coming down again. Just as sure as he went up, the word of God's saying it here, he's going to come down. God's promises are true. When, he, when Jesus said it, when it was prophesied by the prophets, when it was prophesied through many different kinds of teachers that he was coming again. That is as real today as ever before, and God keeps his word. I think that's one of the beauties of the second coming, that we have a word-keeping God. Many of us might have thought we were gonna be doing something different this weekend, and circumstances has changed that, and God says adapt. Maybe someone said you didn't keep your words, you couldn't come over to our place, or you couldn't come to the gathering, or whatever it is. But God is always true to his word. He keeps it. He never, ever is untrue to that word, and this is what we find here. But he's gonna go right back and come down where he went up, and that is a place called the Mount of Olives. Time doesn't allow me to go to Zechariah today and describe the event that took place. We hope to get to there because as we keep going through this book and we keep seeing the exalted Christ, we will also continue to see the coming of Jesus at every turn. At every corner, Jesus is coming again. And John is pointing to this in so many ways and telling us, don't forget this truth throughout the entire book. Sometimes in this, in this beautiful book of Revelation, for a moment, it takes you off in a trail to portray what's really happening. But come back to some of these truths that we're just tapping in this morning. The, the power of the Lord, how great he is, how alive he is, and also 
tap into this truth that Jesus Christ is coming again. When we speak about a high and exalted Jesus, we speak of a Jesus today that has went back to the Father in the heaven who gave a promise even to this revelator John that as I went, I will come again and receive you to myself. And as sure as we're before you this morning teaching the word of God together, Jesus Christ is coming again. Many places we look for answers. We try to find if we can just get the right government, if we could find the right vaccines, if we could find the right economic balance, if we could find the right friendships, if we could find, you know, it is so important to recognize when we look right here at the word of God and we look at this, there is no answer to so much that the world is wrestling with except the return of Jesus. The word of God that's gonna get really beautiful as we get to the end of the, end of the book, it gets so much more beautiful. We won't see it now. We can't go to the end of the book. I'd love to just point a little bit there, but the word of God speaks of that glory and beauty and magnificence as just growing and growing and growing as time goes on. Verse nine, I, John, your fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos. Now this is that island we spoke of last week because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I want us to get a couple of truths that are so amazing here that John first is going to be used by God amazingly to write a divinely inspired book. Remember, he has a companion of the angel. We talked about that last week. If you, if you haven't picked up last week and you're new to this teaching, you can always go back online and pull many resources online that can be a blessing to you in a study through the Bible. We have Wednesday night studies. We have all types of studies that you can draw from online. But John lingers with something I want us to get as he wasn't an elevated apostle. A pastor, a teacher, an elder is a servant of the servants of God. Man elevates men. But look what John called himself. He said, your brother and fellow partaker of the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance, which are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos. And John's is simply saying, I am there just like I am your brother writing to you in persecution, in tribulation, and I'm persevering because of God's grace in me. But I am your brother. I'm not your exalted one. I'm not your exalted teacher. No, I'm just taking the message that God gives me to give to you. I am just sharing, I'm the resource, the flow through which it came from the angel into this little vessel, so be, be the ever so weak, to share the love of Jesus with you. And, and John was just, but he says, he spoke of Patmos. We've looked at Pat, Patmos before. It's uh, the island in dimension was about six miles long and is, and about 10 miles wide just not very, very large at all, just a small island, known for its mining, I believe some copper, some marble mines are in, on Patmos also. 
But in the middle of all of the desolation of Patmos, the richest resources that would ever flow from this island would not be the marble or any other type of mine. It would be the resources of Jesus and what his word was professing and declaring through one little old saint of God that was saying, Lord, here I am, and I am your brother, and I am your servant. And John goes on in verse 10, and he says, and I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and, and, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. I want us to get a couple points here. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Was he saying, I was just before the God, have you ever been there? It's a good time when you have time out like this to meditate and pray. Combine meditating on the word of God in prayer simultaneously. And as you do, and prayer changes, often as you meditate, take a scripture and pray to God and even pray that scripture to God. But we don't know all that John was going through here, but he did say, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. You let that speak to your heart. And I heard behind me a, a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. John got the message from a tr like the sound of a trumpet behind him. But he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Think about the way that God gives messages to his children. I think this is a very, very clear way that if you want to hear from God, get in the spirit. If you want to hear from God, choose to get in the spirit. You won't hear from God if you're just rushing down the road and chasing things. No, be in the spirit like John and the voice will come. You know where John picked it up? Behind him. Sometimes you can, you can, provide, you can bring on prayer, meditation. You can even add fasting and now you're slowing down you're willing to listen and John begins to hear the message of God and what God wanted John to do on this island now I don't know how long it was since John had first got on the island when it came to him that he heard this loud voice like the sound of a trumpet and there gets to be then here comes the direction to John John literally gets his walking papers he gets his orders it's like, here's some of you work in positions where all of a sudden you're called in and your, your, your peer just simply says, These, this is your job description for the day, for the week, go do it. John got his orders when he was in the spirit and he got them on the Lord's day. I'm gonna give you one more thing there just to consider. David saw this in Psalms often. Often, it is on the Lord's day that God will speak to you. There are many times that I've had a decision in front of me, and I, it was too big for me, and it was Friday or Saturday, and I thought, God, just help me go to your sanctuary and just be in the spirit and then hear your voice. And many times, it is on the Lord's day that the picture gets clearer. Not always. But God begins to open up a door. Maybe this is the way instead of this. But what he asks us to do is be in the spirit. And he will speak to us. The voice, and I love this, the voice came to John behind him. And here it was. He just simply says, 
I heard this voice, I was in the spirit, and I got my walking papers, my directions from God. And it was, the voice was like a sound of the trumpet. You know, I think a lot of times where we go and say, well, I haven't heard from God, we think God's gonna say, okay, John, go to Avondale. Or John, go to Blackstaff. Often that isn't how God works. God works in a different way. And John, but John knew what the message was. One of the things about God is when he does speak to us, it is with clarity and direction, and you know it to be true, and God, you know it is God that spoke. And here's what he gives him as his walking papers, and we're coming to the end of this message today. He says, John, here's what I want you to do, verse 11. Here's a loud voice like the sound of the trumpet, but I want you to write in a book what you see. Start writing what you're seeing. You're gonna behold all this stuff. Start writing and send it to the seven churches. Just write down what you're seeing and send it to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. You notice what the Lord did. He wasn't saying, John, grab some more books and read. Uh, go run all over the place, see if you can find anyone to help you. He says, just write down what you see. When you're in the spirit, you're in the Lord's day, God can do amazing things through simply writing. Write down, write what we see. God uses our sight, our ears, our hands, our feet. Maybe this is a good time to, to share something that can be a rich blessing in all of our lives. There was a time where I wasn't teaching quite as much. And I just took, and part of it was time we were even worship at Calvary Surprise. And I just began to pray to God, God, just help me take a verse or two before you and may you expand that to me and may I just write it down for my own good and maybe pass it on. And as time went on, I began to pass them on and they grew and grew and finally a time that season was over but we have no idea what God can do when we are in the spirit and we're listening to his voice and he gives us direction. And what happens with John is here comes this beautiful message to these seven churches that primarily he singled out and God says, do it. And you know what John does? He does it. He goes and does what God tells him to do. And this is, it sounds so simple. It's like the, the little boy who, who is so instrumental in feeding 5,000, and the word of God says all he had was five loaves and two small fishes. But when those disciples called for that little boy, he heard from God, and he did what God asked him to do. And he gave up those five loaves and two fishes. And as he gave that up, God took that and multiplied it by thousands. And I give that for, to you to just consider in light of this message today and in light of even how God would take this one servant, this one brother like he refers to, fellow partaker of the tribulation kingdom of God, and he would multiply it as he was in the spirit in the Lord's day. But what he asked him is, John, don't be what you can't be. Don't, don't be what someone else says. You just take what you hear and you write it. And what you hear, 
you write it. And then I just have a direction. You send it back to the churches. And remember, Ephesus was one of those churches in which John himself at one time was a leader. And as God does that, amazing things begin to happen in this book. I'm, I'm excited to look, look further with you in this book going into next week where God will take us and how God will reveal. But I want to leave us with this today as everyone that's here, that where God speaks, follow. This is what John did. And as he follows, he follows with God's message to God's people in what they, what they know and need and what they, what they desperately need in whatever way. And you may have even today in the middle of the message or sometime heard the voice of God. I don't know. Sometimes just in the, in the house of God, we're in the spirit and we're soaking the word and God might have said, make the phone call, write the letter. You know what I did this morning? I thought, you know, I'm gonna have some time. I won't be as active. So I started writing, writing down all the people that I really could and possibly should call. I wrote down people from Calvary Surprise. I wrote down people, old friends. I, I wrote down people that I know are going through amazing struggles, lost one just lost a little child and thought, wow, I can do that. And I, and I want to encourage us here because there's some things to say. Realize, rather than focus on what we can't do, focus on what you can do. And one thing you can do is you can be in the spirit through Jesus. If you can't be, and you're listening this morning, you say, I don't get it yet. I am going to invite you where you're at to come to Jesus Christ and surrender yourself and say, Lord, I, I don't know how to get in the spirit, but I am going to trust you that you can make me a new creature and I'm not worthy, but with your grace, I, I know I can be worthy and God will do amazing things and he will multiply in your life like he has done in so many other saints Back to John and past the Revelator John, and those even today, that your life can be effectual and powerful for the work of Christ until he comes to gain. And I pray that no one here will miss that coming, not one person listening, that will be ready for Jesus to come. And when we see him in glory, you talk, talk about an exalted position and we're gonna see the Lord in all of his glory. And I wonder when the word of God says, and we're gonna come there in Revelation, that God's gonna wipe away all tears from our eyes. Is it possible that we'll be weeping because we realize how magnificent and how beautiful and glorious Jesus is? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. May God bless you all. And let's pray together. Father God, we, we come to you at the end of this service seeking your guidance, your leadership, your direction. Lord, I pray that you will just bless every person that has heard the word of God today, that some way, Lord Jesus, we each can see you high, lifted up, and hear your voice and do as John what you want us to do. And Lord, like John, it really wasn't a big thing. You were just asking him, to write what he heard down. Sometimes we look for the big thing to do, Lord, and you're asking us just to be faithful. So Lord, we pray that we can trust you, 
We love you, Lord Jesus. We love you. We thank you for your continual care that keeps us and keeps our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And we look forward to the day when you are coming again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.